The Rocks to Roots podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Speak Spokane is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, and on their website at speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. listeners and thanks for listening to rocks to roots if you haven't already make sure and leave us some feedback in the review section we'd love to know what you're learning and any subject suggestions you have rocks to roots is available on all major podcast platforms and on our website rockstoroots.org today we are joined by jerry shealy chairman of the board for the spokane conservation district welcome to the show jerry well, thank you for the invitation <laughs> and looking forward to it, I guess. Uh, but it gave me a chance to, I guess, think about some of my history and stuff. So Yeah, so uh, how long have you been sitting on the board at the Spokane Conservation District? Well, I started getting involved with the, the district itself as an organization. Uh, and let's see, uh, for be 29 years now in wow, 1992 awesome. when I first started uh, uh, being active with committees and things. And are there any other boards that you currently sit on or have sat on? Well, I got the thinking the other day that my first elected position was on the Waverly Township, a township is a small government entity of like six miles by six miles square. And back then they had uh, the ability to assess property owners so much. And then the property owners could do little projects to help the township out, mainly with like road maintenance and then that was the beginning of it. The next uh, thing that I was involved with was uh, the Lutheran Church as a member of the uh, council, the church council, as, as a deacon, which the deacons are in charge of taking care of the property. So I was on that for a number of years. Then I got involved with the Farm Cooperative Supply Company, which at that time it was what they called the Grange Wholesale, uh, and it provided fuel and nuts and bolts and 
baling with wire and twine and things like that and chicken feed. And so I was on that board for probably about 10 years. Then I uh, ran for board position on the, the grain cooperative, which it was uh, Fairfield Grain Growers at the time. Mm. And I was on that for 10 years as a, on the board of directors. And, uh, you know, that gave me some opportunity to do a little traveling. We went to national convention a couple times in Minneapolis where the major the headquarters for cooperatives are. Mm. And after that, or during that time, I started being active with the, the, the Dry Pea and Lentil Association, which it's a growers group, and, and they work with the political issues and research funding and that type of thing, and I was on that for a number of years. Then I ran for a, a PN Lentil Commission position. The commission is just like the other commodity commissions in the state, and I was on that for six years. And the meetings were held in at the uh, P and Lentil office for it's a combined office of Idaho and Washington, and it's situated right on the state line at Moscow, Idaho, which is unique. Yeah. So went down there uh, four times a year for meetings, and then a a summer uh, session meeting and. Always stayed at the University Inn, which was fun, <laughs> swimming pool. But <laughs> and then uh, after that commission duty, I I decided to try for a position on the Washington Barley Commission. Oh, and it was just starting in 1985, and I went to uh, a hearing in Spokane and gave testimony as a barley grower to, you know, consider uh, uh, having the, I don't know, is the Department of Agriculture just uh, where we had to get the okay to establish a commission like that. And then after finishing the the Barley Commission, I was on that for seven and a half years, and that included a couple – trips to Washington, D.C., and a trip to China and Japan on, on promoting barley and, and uh, beer. We, we raised malting barley mm. on, on my farm, so I was interested in that. Very cool. So that was a lot of fun. And then uh, when I was finishing up the Barley Commission, I started getting involved with the Conservation District. And I'll go into some of that detail a little bit later, but nice. Yeah. So you mentioned that you um, grew up in Waverly. So what was it like growing up in Waverly, Washington, as a kid? Well, I'll just uh, I jotted down a few things here. <laughs> the, our our farm was a couple miles south of Waverly, in the southern part of the county. I was born in 1939. And Washington Water Power had just completed bringing electricity to the farm oh, wow. through the rural electrification program. 
previously electricity was obtained by we happened to have an electric railroad going through the the southern part of the county down into Whitman County and and local uh, neighbors could string a line and hook into their electricity but it was a different voltage i'm not sure i know dad had to have a, a different a uh, couple different electric motors it was just wasn't 110 volt or 120 volt but huh. anyway uh, on the farm we had all the farm animals for milk meat egg production fruit trees a large garden, which most of the produce was canned for winter use, and we had no freezer, so it had to be canned. And Mom, many times, had the the cur glass jars with the with the lids, and mm-hmm. had to go through. And she canned green beans, which was uh, very uh, delicate, I guess. <laughs> you could get botulism or whatever easy if it wasn't <laughs> done right but uh, and there was freezer space available at the local grocery store they had you know they had a large walk-in freezer and they had small compartments you could rent from oh, them interesting. so we utilized that somewhat and I grew up, uh, Dad had a team of horses, and when I was little, he was still using them just for putting up hay, uh, cutting the hay, pulling the mower, then pulling a rake, and then pulling the wagon to haul the hay to the barn. Real horsepower. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was real horsepower. I guess you could call it two horsepower. (laughs) (laughs) But they were... were, uh, the draft horses. Okay. Uh, so, and as a little kid, uh, I was, I remember like when I first started remembering things, I was like five years old and I, I loved to sit on the back of that big old horse while the hired man was out mowing the hay. Oh, and, nice. And, uh, then, the town had a grocery store, a post office, tavern, auto shop, church, grain storage elevator by the railroad, a railroad depot, grade school, and a grange hall. And the high school that was there burned down a few years before I uh, can remember. But grade school had two classrooms, four grades in each classroom and there was probably a total of like 40 to 45 kids in the whole grade school oh my gosh so then and at high school time some of us went to Fairfield High School which was five miles away and and uh, Lata or Lata High School which is six miles away so the kids kind of went the different directions but uh when I was nine, my dad sold those uh, workhorses and bought a saddle horse for me to ride. So the workhorses were replaced by a case wheel tractor and a John Deere 
Model B wheel tractor. Uh, I rode many miles on my horse as I grew older, and I gradually grew into the length of the stirrups. I was, you know, wasn't that big when I started riding, but uh, I was able to uh, uh, manage that and put the saddle on myself and all that. So, uh, so that's gives you a little feel for what my hometown growing up is like. <laughs> Very cool. Where is I'm sorry. Where is Waverly at? Have you been south? Yeah, uh, it, to it, one to uh, Spangle. Okay, yeah, yeah. You take a left and go across country to uh, like to Tico. Okay. Waverly is kind of like in the middle in there. In the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Interesting. I definitely had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've definitely, I've, I've definitely heard of the. I should heard ask of it. you questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jerry, when did you first become interested in conservation and um, the sustainable use of our natural resources? Well, this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, when I was a little kid, like you know, I remember five years old, we had a little stream going by the the farmhouse. And in the springtime, when there was, uh, you know, the major runoff sometimes, mm-hmm. the little stream was was always dirty, and it had uh, little little formations of uh, sediment, which was fun to play in as I was a, <laughs> as a kid. When I got a little older, I realized that was a, the topsoil. Mm. And I thought, that's, you know very important for the, the future and that uh, farming practices needed to change. But anyway, uh, during my high school years, my dad was on the conservation district board, the local board. Oh. And at that time, it was uh, Lataw Rock Creek Soil and Water Conservation District. Mm. And that's basically was the, one of the four districts that formed the Spokane District later Okay. Years so, but Dad was uh, on the district board, and he had a sign by the entrance uh, to the driveway up to the house that it says uh, uh, "local cooperator, uh, uh, Rock Creek, Lata Rock Creek Conservation District," and and uh, that type of thing during high school. In ag class, we had uh, we put together a demonstration showing the difference between the, the types of soil and how rainfall would affect the, the runoff on those different types. So we had it designed, so we were able to take it to uh, one of the TVs here in Spokane. They just started, you know, we... We got uh, TV like in 1950, so we're, it was very new. And and there was a noon broadcast, a farm broadcaster. Oh. And so we made arrangements for our class to take these soil samples to demonstrate. So we showed them what we had. We had uh, sod and, and mulch like covering on the soil and and bare soil, so we showed him that, and 
we said, well, we'll have a demonstration. We'll start the rainfall. We had a, had a sprinkler can, watered it down good, you know. So the, on the sod, it, was, it showed that the sod would hold the water very well, and what did come off, it was clean. But the other demonstration was dirty water and mm-hmm. soil erosion. So that was the, one of the main things that, I guess, affected my thought of, you know, as a little kid playing in the mud and, and, uh, and then seeing these uh, type of uh, demonstrations. Well, and that had so, to be a big moment, too, going yeah. to the news station and getting oh, yeah. to be with the reporter, yeah. and that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that was big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the conservation practices, if any, that um, you guys implemented on your farm? Well, we had uh, you know, on some on a portion of the ground, we would raise a cover crop or mm-hmm. have uh, raised alfalfa, which it would be in uh, like three, four, or five years straight in production. So you didn't have to till the soil. You just went out every year and cut the hay, and, mm. and uh, that lasted uh, so long. And then we had uh, Kentucky bluegrass seed, which was excellent for controlling erosion but the biggest problem in the late 60s uh, was was the county pollution air pollution control authority mm-hmm. at Skapka which uh, it really you know maybe it brought to the attention of more people the fact that where the smoke was coming from when they, of course they always had to burn the residue that from that crop mm-hmm. because that would, if you didn't burn it would affect the next year's crop on it so that was one thing but eventually the, the, con, the pollution controls uh, took over and limited so many burn acres and it kind of became a political thing and pretty soon growers were some of them just totally quit mm. uh, raising bluegrass in the rotation some others, they, they still uh, raise the grass. And you can go down in the fall, drive over to Worley, and you get to the state line, across the state line, they still burn all the grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't so, notice that Yeah, yeah when I drove down there a few weeks ago. Yeah, so, but uh, we raised uh, uh, sweet clover and Austrian winter peas, and that was like what we call a green manure crop because those crops will uh, fixate nitrogen on the roots. Mm. So that was our source of nitrogen uh, at that time before we started buying uh, commercial fertilizers. You know, we didn't have really much commercial fertilizer when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It was So you had to have a rotation like that to help build up soil so you'd mm-hmm. have a little nitrogen to you know have a good wheat crop <laughs> but uh, one of the main conservation uh, things that we had were what we call grass waterways all the drainages major, major drainages we would uh, 
plant grass on them so the grass would hold the soil and and keep you know any further erosion if you had some excess water off the fields or whatever in the grass waterways would would uh, help filter that water and then we got to uh, building some silt retention dams uh, it was a Let's say at at the end of a, a waterway where we'd construct a dam, there would be a, like an overflow pipe. Water would come up so high and then start going through the pipe and and not wash over the dam, but it would control that water flow. And in the process, when the water gets to that dam and slows or stops, all if there's any sediment in the water, it settles out. Oh. And if you can I know we went in a few years later and go in when it's dry and and use a like a earth mover carry all land land mover to go in just kind of scoop it out and clean it and, and uh, haul it back up on the hill <laughs> <You know? laughs> so uh, I've hauled many loads up that way then uh Back at that time, when I started farming, we were using a moldboard plow. And that is something that really moves the topsoil. It, you know, it takes however deep you want to plow, six, eight, ten inches deep, takes all that soil and turns it over and covers up the residue that's on top of it. But in the process, you're moving that soil 16 or 18 inches every year this way so if you start plowing downhill every year which some places you you have to but that moves the soil too far and you can go down and look at some of the old fence lines Mm. that forever they plowed towards a fence and it was like i know a couple places it was like six eight 10 feet higher than the neighbor's field. Mm. So it was just... Wow. So, but 1976 was the last time I used a, a moldboard plow on the farm. I started doing a, like a mulch till. I would incorporate the residue on the surface, uh, use a, a, what we call a shredder to break up the, the pieces of straw and the smaller manageable pieces so it would flow through the equipment when you're trying to uh, work it or whatever but i i got away from any major tillage Mm. of the soil uh, back in the late 70s so that was uh, a start of a big change Mm -hmm. for me Uh, crop rotations uh, we had Winter wheat was the main crop, and, and barley, malting barley, which you know we got to have our beer, <laughs> and uh, lentils and peas, canola mm. uh, for seed oil seed mm. production, and then of course uh, Kentucky bluegrass on some acres. So uh, I was on basically what what you call a four year rotation. Okay. Which 
is one of the best things I think you can do because it it reduces your chance for uh, uh, diseases. If if you have continuous wheat every year, you start getting certain diseases in the you know because of the straw or the barley straw has there's something to it that it changes the whole spectrum of of uh, disease. And then of course having peas and lentils being a legume in the process that's important for the soil too so that's uh, the main thing when i switch to the mulch tillage i got away from what what we call the summer fallow rotation which is or clean cultivation for a year you don't plant anything on it you go out and every two weeks and take a a tool like the a rod weeder and rod weeder will cut the weeds off and eventually all the weeds most of the weeds will sprout you know and then you kill them off and so you maintain that so you get ahead of your your weeds that way but i think once uh, we started uh having more available pesticides uh made farming easier mm. uh, and Probably not so many of them. Hmm. So that's the, you know, I'm sure there's some other practices. <laughs> so um, what are some of or excuse me. Um, so how have you seen conservation change over the years? Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, converting to, to direct seed. Mm. which is uh, like a, a one-pass operation to uh, uh, incorporate the fertilizer and seed. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very minimal soil disturbance. Uh, they, they can, with the equipment now, you can plant into heavy, heavy residue, and with the residue on the surface, it helps hold the moisture they're finding that more moisture is available for the direct seed system. So that's probably what was the, uh, the biggest change for me. I was just starting to get into trying experimenting with some direct seed drills on a small basis. But uh, one thing on a direct seed field, there's a virtually no runoff. Mm. And if there is, it's usually very minimal soil movement. So it's been a good, good change. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how and why did you decide to get involved with the Spokane Conservation District? Well, as a landowner in the southern part of the county, I had farmland, pasture land, timberland that adjoined Hangman Creek. Mm. And so I saw a lot of the issues that some of the problems with the bank erosion and and flooding at times. And so the conservation district had sponsored, uh, well, we call it the Hangman Creek Steering Committee. It was an advisory group, a citizens advisory group that uh, we had a meeting at Freeman High School, 
and uh, they, you know, explained what the, you know, issues are because of the, you know, more emphasis on clean water and things like that. So I, I, when I became aware of uh, this group, I started, you know, I signed up and put my name down and said, yeah, I'll come to some meetings. So this steering committee there were, had some funding available for, we basically picked, I don't remember, two or three projects, and it was more riparian uh, protection uh, where there has uh, been extreme uh, stream bank erosion and I think the district is still involved in those things today some big uh, programs mm-hmm. so that's when it all started and I started going to uh, uh, district board meetings and then there was an opportunity I guess opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to become a, a, one of the, the members of the board of supervisors and so i was i was appointed i think in like 94 and i'm still there (laughs) so (laughs) and as the chair now yeah yeah (laughs) you you served on a lot of boards over like your life like like your dad was in the conservation district obviously or in the yeah in your district like is that why you started being on boards, like, is that like, is that what the root of it started? Is your your dad did it, and so you wanted to? Well, you did that, it. Was, that was probably part of it, part of it because uh, uh, I was more aware of mm. those things yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that were happening, and and uh, growing up uh, when I was in high school, dad would be going to growers meetings or county extension, you know meetings, uh, Liberty Ag Days, that type of thing, where you had all the different research speak mm. speakers and things like that. And so I was, uh, I, I saw the, uh, pictures of when I was probably in sophomore in high school, sitting there in the front row of <laughs> listening to these guys talk about you know, conservation or, you know, programs. And, and then, of course... There was a lot of uh, involvement in in government uh, programs. It's it's been that way all all through my life. Mm. That there's always been some some government program, a subsidy program, or uh, back then we could only raise so many acres of crop. We had to set aside so many acres, and so we did uh, the summer fellow on that so it was uh you know and i went to all the, a lot of the meetings when uh, you know with dad and mm-hmm. and then uh, my brother and i we started farming together in 61 and and farmed uh, in a partnership to 95 and mm. we went to a lot of grower meetings and things like that so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. This is, it was in your blood <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yes 
So what are some of the primary roles of being a board member, specifically for the Spokane Conservation District? Yeah. Well, I think I'll give you a little, try to give a little background. Uh, I believe the primary role of a supervisor is to establish policies that give guidelines to to the uh, director, manager, and and staff while operating the district. When I first started uh, going to board meetings, uh, they were kind of operating under uh, like a district operational governance style. And I felt that there needed to be more separation between staff and supervisors. Mm. There was uh, the direct her operational governance is more uh, where supervisors would be involved in day-to-day operations or they become part of the management team. I know I sat in on on some uh, staff evaluations that I, you know, I thought that's not what a supervisor needs to be doing. That's for the, the district. Uh, executive director, manager, to be doing that. We, uh, the board, only, you know, evaluates uh, uh, the director. Mm-hmm. And we leave everything else. We can't. Let's get away from micromanaging. That's what, mm-hmm. uh, but as a district was growing, uh, I could see that, there needed to be some changes, and that I had, had been involved with the, the grain cooperative system, and they would train the you know board of directors from from the local local grain co-ops to have a like a annual seminar where they would uh, present, and they told. Us at that time, it's not good for the supervisors to be involved in day-to-day operations, <laughs> and just uh, stick to establishing policies. The conservation district changed to a results-oriented governance, uh, which focuses on the board setting policy for the director and the staff to carry out the operations. And in 2002, Rich, uh, Vicki, and I had the opportunity to attend a seminar at SeaTac Airport area. And it was put on by the Aspen Group International and uh, talking about policy governance. We had that group come to uh, a couple uh summer board retreats that we were we were starting to have our you know a summer retreat where we uh, went over short range long range planning and and different policies and stuff but we had the group come and tell us about what their policy governance was then we had Ray Ledgerwood uh, come and uh, facilitate a couple uh, summer sessions and and it was like day long where you, he, he made you put your thinking cap on and, and come up with, with ideas on how to change 
governance or whether it was right or wrong and things. But right now, our uh, governance mo model, uh, we have uh, these policies in place that in, it is in four quadrants. They're called GCs, BCRs, OEs, and ERs. <laughs> <laughs> GCs are governance culture, which is basically the values and policies of the board. The BCRs, it's board executive director relationship, uh, deals with policies between the director and the board. And the operational expectations, the OEs, are uh, policies governing the staff. And then the ERs, which is the results, measurable outcomes desired by the board. So that's our basic policy structure for the district. And I think uh, it's been working really well. We might fine-tune it a little bit, but I think overall it's... Uh, been good and for me that that helps reduce the time spent as a supervisor involved with you know we don't get involved with daily day-to-day operations anymore right yeah. <laughs> so coming over looking over your shoulder telling <laughs> you what to do and <laughs> you know but there's there's still Things happen like that in, I think, in some of the small districts where you know, they probably need to have that uh, extra help from a supervisor. Mm -hmm. But uh, Yeah, a little bit more no, support. We got past that. So. <laughs> so I hope that gives you an idea of what uh, our, how I feel the primary role of a supervisor is. Yeah, definitely. And so what would you say are the core values of the Spokane Conservation District? Well, this is, this is pretty broad. There's a lot of things you can plug into it, but the core values are to make available technical, financial, and educational resources, whatever their source, and coordinate those resources so they meet the needs of the district and, and the local land manager mm -hmm. and help conserve soil, water, and natural resources. So that's just, you know, you can plug in about anything you, you want into that. There's so many uh, areas, there's so many different sources of funding that the, the district is involved in with different grants and, you know, uh, so it's been... Mm -hmm. been great yeah you wrapped that up you know really nicely but it is so broad those how oh yeah those resources just you know <laughs> they can go on and on and on and on for well, the uh, landowners it blows my mind when i attend a board meeting and have all all the reports where we have and now we're we're most most of the reports are submitted ahead of time so we can read through them but there's still other reports that staff they need to and and they want to share uh with what they're doing and there's such a broad spectrum of, of things that you know 
natural resources. There's so many different ways you can work with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So you've been on the Spokane Conservation District Board for 28 years. Is that correct? 28 years? Well, I was uh, in uh, 92 when I started. I was on that committee for a couple couple years, and then I started going to uh, the board meetings. Okay. Of course, it was probably because uh, they wanted the committee to give a report to the <laughs> <laughs> district board. So, uh, And so why is it important to you to sit on the board? Well, I just feel that it's very important to work with and manage and help uh, with programs that that deal with all our natural resources, we get, you know, what what is it? Uh, Swapa, soil, water, air, plants, animals, mm-hmm. and and humans. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's been interesting to see all the different programs, and I think it's that's why I've kind of stayed involved just to just to see the <laughs> exciting things that happen the progression and everything yeah um what are some of the highlights or standout projects that um you've helped facilitate during your term well i guess one of the highlights uh, of being a supervisor is being able to attend the National Association Conservation District conventions. Mm. And they usually have them in warm climates in <laughs> February. Bonus. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I'll just give you an example of the cities I've been to. I've uh, been to Orlando twice, New Orleans, Houston, Fort Worth, Kansas City, which was a cold one. <laughs> Atlanta, San Diego, Los Angeles, Reno, and Hawaii. <laughs> that would have been a yeah. good one. That was, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me yeah. up. I always remember the, you know, and they, they get two or 3,000 people right, yeah. going to those conventions, the national ones. And so, but that one, uh, uh, and Hawaii was, I guess, uh, special because of the the big uh, uh, luau that we oh fun put, that they had for us all, and and uh, they had their they would put the pig in the underground, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, and cook it under the leaves or whatever, and then bring it out and put it on the the spit, and, you know, so they could turn or carve it and cut and they I was in line and here comes a, a, a new hog to put out there to start for them to start carving so oh, wow. I was right I timed that right yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure the others but you know that was a, a, a fun highlight and then and doing uh, uh was able to See, Vicky and and uh, Chris, you know, our associate supervisor. Mm-hmm. He was a supervisor at that time. 
we went on a helicopter ride. Oh my gosh! Flying over, uh, we were on the, the Big Island and flew over the volcanoes mm. and up and down the coast and stuff. So that was, you know, a, a special cool. highlight. But all these other cities, we always uh, would attend tours that the locals would put on to go look at some of their uh, local district projects and things so you get to know the, the city and mm-hmm. things. Uh, it, was, it was always interesting. But my uh, the, the highlight here at the district, I think, is I touched on it some already, but uh, as, a, as a retired dryland farmer, uh, I was concerned with the erosion of the soil, and I feel the, the, dis, the direct seed uh, low interest program that the district has available for for producers to to buy equipment at a low interest rate over a period of time, and that program has it has helped put more conservation on the ground, and there's just thousands of acres that. Uh, that are under that direct seed type operation. So that was uh, probably the, the main highlight. Of course, like I say, there's so many others with you know, looking at uh, the Firewise programs that mm-hmm. Garth has and the, all the water resource, the different programs that Walt and crew have. It's... Uh, just amazing, and Stacy's uh, education programs. That's always so important. Having the kids and involved and learn about uh, mm-hmm. conservation and, mm. and the natural resources. So, oh well. So tell us about Upper Columbia RCND. And how you've decided to um, support the veteran farmers, such as the Vets on the Farm program, because I know that you've been involved with that quite okay. a bit. Yeah, the Upper Columbia RCND. It's uh, the RCND stands for Resource Conservation and Development, and it's a five hundred one c three class uh, organization, which can apply and uh, uh, find grant funding in other sources than what the conservation district can mm-hmm. can find. Okay. But one of the things that uh, the big programs that uh, I uh, got involved with was uh, like forest waste management. One of the uh, fellow in the uh, Stevens County had applied for a grant through uh, the Forest Service, and it dealt with managing forest residue, cleaning up the forest, putting that material through a, a system called a gasifier, and it would produce enough energy or heat to... Uh, uh, Put on the, on the grid to, to generate power for the grid, mm. and I always thought that was a really good program. And the, one of the byproducts was uh, this biochar, which is 
starting to right. uh, become more popular. But mm-hmm. the whole program, it was a it was a four million dollar grant, and the RCND was asked to help administer it because we had at that time we had a federal employee as a coordinator. He was our he was the main uh, manager of it. And, uh, and then we had a little bit of funding for uh, office staff mm. and things. But there was other programs. Uh, we had, uh, it was like a $100,000 grant for diesel emissions reduction through uh, EPA, uh, Region 10. And that program worked so well, we had... Uh, uh, I don't remember what it was, about $75,000 of that to to spend and help support uh, producers that wanted to uh, be involved with it. And, that, and it was mainly the direct seed operators. And that was a natural because direct seed operators uh, only make, one or two passes across the field instead of six, seven, eight, ten times across the field like mm-hmm. I did when I first started farming. I spent a lot of time on the tractor. Mm-hmm. But uh, direct seed, you do all that, you're burning less fuel, so therefore there's less emissions uh, uh, generated and uh, the air pollution, so... That program went really well. We applied for another uh, loan through EPA, and that would have covered uh, Northeast Oregon and all of Eastern Washington. And wow. but then they changed the program, uh, and getting away from uh, retrofitting agricultural tractors, you know, so they become more fuel efficient stuff uh now they're just i think doing school buses which is which is important Mm -hmm. to have uh, you know a better fuel source and less pollution but that grant uh, fell through and then we just then things started to change the federal government uh, uh, dropped that program the rcnd program they weren't funding any uh coordinator position so we've just kind of been gradually decreasing but in the meantime we we were 501c3 and the vets on the farm program got started and and uh vicky wanted to to utilize the rcnd to to uh have the 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 funds that were generated from donations and plant sales to go through a separate bank account from what the conservation district is has. So, mm. uh, the conservation district or the RCND has uh, an account with the Columbia Bank, and uh, we go through deposit. You know, I think the last couple of years we probably generated you know, maybe around fifty thousand dollars of sales and donations, and that money has turned around. Uh, to improve some of the equipment that the vets on the farm has, you know, to work with and 
you can see all the all the improvements that have been made over the years there so yeah it is crazy to just yeah. to see the growth that that farm is having especially as of late too. yeah so that's you know just the, the some other small programs that the rcnd was involved with uh, called the dry hydrant program which is a, a system let's say you can you can put a hydrant by a uh, let's see a, a pond of water or a lake and it's available for fire trucks to come and hook up to it and pump out of that so it's it's dry hydrant but it's it's low enough close enough to the water level that uh, the fire departments can draw water from that source and that's we we helped with putting one i think down on the, there was a uh, home development down i think it was on long lake oh okay so and that worked you know that was something that we presented that to several of the concert or the fire districts in the county that uh, you know that could be available. So we had the technology and you know the connections yeah. with, with the, the proper uh, uh, type of hydrant and screens and things. You had to have a certain type of screen on it so you wouldn't be sucking fish into the oh yeah (laughs) so yeah so yeah so so you've also served on the washington state conservation society board um what can you tell us about that organization well, to, about the organization uh, itself, well, maybe I'll just, I brought along the, the book. It's like 10 years old, but <laughs> this has, uh, uh, I thought this was very, very well, even though I wrote it, <laughs> it was, as, as, as president of the society, but the the idea idea for the memorial foundation was started in April of 2007 by the WACD president Fred Colvin to honor Bill Broughton who is our regional manager from the commission our regional manager which you know Mike Baden is mm-hmm. now uh, uh, it's it's our connection or with with the commission and right. regional managers help districts with you know problems anything but mm-hmm. anyway Bill uh, uh, passed early passed away earlier that year and so a committee was appointed appointed and after a few months of all the paperwork had been completed and sent to proper agencies the Washington Conservation S- Society was classified as a non profit charitable organization so the idea for the memorial came from the first discussions of the appointed committee and the WACD officers and directors there has not been any kind of record keeping of the early days of the conservation movement and the key people 
who were instrumental in forming the districts, state association, and conservation commission. And I think that's the key key point that there's just there was not any uh, record being kept. Mm-hmm. So we started uh, with this, the like this booklet, hard copy. It's available uh, electronically, and it's updated every year. I don't know what uh, the number is. You know, there's probably 60 entrants into it now. And it's uh, to honor conservationists for their outstanding dedication and service to our natural resources. Mm-hmm. And we're speaking about the Leaving a Legacy book. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's... Uh, and you were instrumental in really getting that off of the ground. Yeah. So what can you tell us about some of the individuals that are featured in the book? Did they all have to work for conservation districts? Or? No, I think there might be a couple that were, they were a conservationist themselves, weren't mm. necessarily a member of an organization, but some of the things that they've done in uh, society mm-hmm. that, you know, but most of them, most of the, the entrants are uh, uh, supervisors. There's some staff, there's some commission staff, you know, but, uh, no, it's, it's pretty open, I think. And but that's, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, Hillary has accepted to take <laughs> over my position on the Conservation Society, and she said <laughs> yes. So uh, she was appointed at the annual meeting in November. I did, yeah. yes. I feel as though <laughs> I have some big, big shoes to fill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, but there's, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's important to, to keep that memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the society has, uh, you know, at this point in time, doesn't generate that much funding. It's basically from dues and donations. Mm-hmm. And some of the districts, a couple of districts have applied for a certain type of grant that they couldn't get funding for this project, so they were able to do it through the Conservation Society. Mm-hmm. And then the society, you know, brings the money in, in mm-hmm. to to the account and because it's a 501c3 nonprofit. And so it's, it's been a, a good fit. So there's here, I'm involved with two different <laughs> 501c3s, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I guess that's all part of it. Well, and, you know, as we're sitting here and we're having this great conversation about history and how things are just evolving continuously over the years from your dad to you to yeah. serving on different boards, it is just so great to know that there is, you know, a publication out there that celebrates these conservationists and keeps their legacy going yeah. and that we, you know, celebrate them. So yeah. it's very cool. Well, it's something, I guess it was a goal of mine and I could pass that on to you. (laughs) Oh, I'm honored. (laughs) uh, I'd like to see, you know, every conservation district have an entry in the 
in the book. I know mm-hmm. there's people out there that they would like to to honor and to add to the collection. So, but it's uh, you know the we used to call it a booklet, but now it's the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's been uh, fun, but it's, it's time to pass the torch. <laughs> well, I won't let you down, Jerry, and it will. <laughs> It's going to just continue to grow and get even, gain an, even more pages. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, so, what is your best memory out of your um, years of service on the Spokane Conservation District Board? Well, I think it's right now because of the where we are as a district. We mm-hmm. have, uh, you know found a piece of property that that's going to be our, our conservation campus or has so many possibilities uh, to share with the public. And I think that's uh, an important part of getting the conservation message out to, mm-hmm. to the public by having the, these things available. Mm-hmm. And plus, uh, having a new office building is... is really exciting yeah and i haven't been inside yet but i I hear some of the things that you know pretty unique Mm -hmm. about it but uh and having another storage building and shop so it's going to be a a good thing fun fun location Mm -hmm. and plus it's it's you know a prime spot in suburbia with it has all kinds of things from you know the, the timber the, the rock walls uh, there's a lot of uh, geology in that just that particular area mm-hmm. uh, so yeah lots of room for demonstration sites yeah. and trainings and the education opportunities are endless over there yeah yeah well when i started with the district uh, we were having our meetings, we were co-located with the NRCS mm. there at the ag building just across from what our old or present building is. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we were in the same office with NRCS. I don't remember at that time if we had maybe five employees and they all had, they all had their little cubicle, you know, and then <laughs> in NRCS there was three or four employees and they had their cubicles. So wow. when was that in 1998 when decided to build a new building mm. and that was a big step mm-hmm. and uh, that has worked out well, but it's time to move on. Yeah. And yep. 22, 23 years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now I think it's uh yeah, I have a lot of a lot of good memories, but I just it's just unbelievable where the district is now. I guess uh, I can say I'm happy to be part of it. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think it all trickles down from our leadership. Yeah, our yeah. Board supervisors and board <laughs> members. So, so Jerry, um, what advice would you give anyone who's interested in interested in serving as a board member? For any board, 
just general advice? Well, I think the main thing, you want to be involved. You learn more that way. There's uh, many committees, uh, and it has connection with other organizations. Uh, it's more than just when I first started. Uh, you know, they say, well, it's only one meeting a month. Right. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so one meeting a month plus, uh, you know, get involved. There's committee meetings. There's uh, northeast area meetings. Uh, mm-hmm. Be a, an area director, which means going to the state uh, officers and director meetings. Go to state conventions and go to national conventions. And so there's a lot of opportunity just uh, besides just attending uh, one board meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I don't regret it. <laughs> yeah. It's been fun. Wonderful. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for being here. You've, it's just been so great to learn your history, know your history, and um, we really appreciate all of your involvement. And I know that everybody can speak. All the other boards that you've sat on can definitely speak for you, yeah. for me, as well when we say thank you. Um, is there anything that we missed that maybe we didn't hit or we want to share? Or? <laughs> no. Well, maybe I don't want to share it. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. No, I think, uh, you know, just looking back to the past few days after you sent the list of questions, you know, and I'd take a, the one or two questions a day and just kind of think on that. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't like to sit down and write out stuff. I can't write that well anymore. But, uh, but I like to do it on the computer. I can still do the keyboard and, and, uh, and edit you know, uh, some of the stuff that you want to print out. So, nice. but it's, it's been fun just thinking back of old times and what it was like growing up on a farm. And, mm. and I probably didn't mention, but I learned to milk cows at a young age and I did that through high school. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> Was that your main job on the farm? Or were, you probably had so many different roles and oh, chores on the yeah. farm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was, had to collect the eggs at times or feed the, feed the hogs. Or we always had uh, a cream separator on the farm. You know, we'd milk the cows and run it through a separator. We'd save the cream, and, and when the cream can would get full, we'd take it to the local uh, creamery. And they would measure the butter fat, and you'd make enough money off of that to buy a few things at the supply store. Uh, but that was always uh, uh, twice a day. You had to milk the cows and and feed them and clean the barn out every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, there's uh, a lot of things involved mm-hmm. with. And a lot of stuff you don't think about until you start really, hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come back and. <laughs> yeah. 
Wonderful. So, Jerry, at the end of our interviews, we like to do what we call this spitfire round, where we just ask you a few kind of random questions just about yourself so that the listeners just get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. Are you are you down for it? You ready? Oh, we'll see <laughs> if I answer them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <coughs> um, so what was the first car you ever drove? Well, uh, 57 Chevy two-door hardtop. Nice. <laughs> should have kept it. You should have, yeah, you should have. It's yeah. probably worth some money now. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, what is a food that you can't live without? Oh, if you would have said it the other way, I would have picked on food but or a no. food that you can't or that you would that want to live without <laughs> i don't let's say uh when i went to college uh and ate in the dining room it seems like their specialty was brussels sprouts oh and i just never cared for them and my wife patty would she loved brussels sprouts and she'd fix those once in a while i'd eat them but i just <laughs> you'd eat them out of love yeah yeah <laughs> no i'm a steak and potato and you know i, I like uh, uh, pork products uh, chicken turkey uh, i try and eat a variety of stuff um what is one of your favorite movies hmm Oh, there's, boy, there's so many of them. And thing about this past year, I've probably watched 200 movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the favorite one, uh, boy, I don't know. I like, uh, I like so many of the, the old westerns. I like, uh, with the horses and mm-hmm. cattle, uh, and then I throw in a Hallmark movie once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have gotta have a feel good movie and maybe a little tear. <laughs> a little tear stroll down <laughs> <Yeah>. your cheek. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you have a favorite candy? Well, probably. Anything chocolate type, you know, chalk. I like Snickers, but uh, I like the other kinds too. Snickers bar. Yeah. All right. And one last one. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? I feel like this is going to be Hawaii after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I've had uh, connections with a, a timeshare in Mexico for uh, a, a number of years, and it's always been great to go down there. But uh, I think after two weeks, I think I'm ready to come back home. Mm-hmm. I like Spokane. It's a uh, it's a large enough small city. You might say there's so many things that we have here, and 
I like the snow. I don't like the shoveling anymore. But, uh, <laughs> rain, sunshine, spring and fall. Mm-hmm. A little bit of it all here in Spokane. Yeah. Used to snow ski and snowmobile. Oh, yeah, very fun. <laughs> so it has you know lots of opportunities and just looking at I think the the population is growing. People are moving here mm-hmm. from others. It's just like people are moving to Texas and Florida from California and New York. <laughs> so, yep, it's true. Everybody's. Finding our little secret up here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, don't, well, don't tell them too much on the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible here. Yeah. Don't move here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jerry, so, thank you so much for being here. Well, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been great yeah. to just, you know, learn more about you, learn your history, and um, thank you for talking about what it means to serve on as a board member for the Spokane Conservation District. And I know that we have some elections coming up and um, we're getting geared up for those. But if you'd like to learn any more about the Spokane Conservation District and their various programs and departments, you can check out their website, which is sccd.org. Thanks for being here, Jerry. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.